Well, good morning. It was good for me. Uh, it is so good to be finishing Ecclesiastes. Amen? You're not too excited. We could go to Job next. I mean, really. You want to feel like that misery. Uh, we have been in a series with Ecclesiastes all summer. And uh, not to say that it's been a less than book, but it's been a difficult book to teach. We've talked about that before, and we've said for several weeks we've been talking through someone's journal entry. And uh, you'll be surprised to note that chapter 12 is the easiest chapter of all of them, and it's the last one. In fact, I was talking to Mike Vandermoss at the end. Uh, I don't think Solomon was necessarily a very good editorial writer, because really what he said in 12, he could have done in 1. That would have helped us figure this out a lot better, but... This morning we finish Ecclesiastes chapter 12. If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome. Um, I want to talk to you about perspective this morning because I think that's really where Solomon is going to land this morning for us. He's going to help us have some perspective about life. It reminds me of the story. Uh, there's a fable out there, and it's about a man, a poor farmer in a village uh, with his young son. And they have one horse, and the horse really is the prized possession that they own, uh, largely because uh, it, was, it provided a lot of the workforce, the, the labor for the farm to keep it going. So one day, this farmer goes out to the stalls and finds that his horse has gotten out of the, the stable and is gone, lost his horse. The elders of the village hear about this, and so they go to him, and they kind of com commiserate with him and, and say, yes, we're so sorry, life is tough. What bad luck? Really difficult. And so this smart, uh, this kind of wise, smart farmer looks up and says, well, we'll just wait and see. A couple days later, this horse returns. This horse returns to, to the farm, not alone, but with another horse. Well, the villagers hear about this and come back and say, wow, what great luck. What great fortune that you have. And so this, this little farmer just says, well, Let's just wait and see. We'll see. A couple days later, his son is out riding one of the horses and falls and breaks his leg pretty severely, enough to where it's going to hamper some of the farm chores and duties. Again, the villagers, the elders come back in and, and say, wow, what bad luck. What a curse. What a horrible thing that life has thrown at you. And so a couple days go by and they hear that their country is going to war. And that they're calling at all the young men, all the able-bodied young men. And sure enough, his son has a broken leg and can't go. A couple weeks later, they find out that their small village of young boys are at war and all are lost in battle. And those men come to him from the village and say, Wow, what a blessing it is that your son had a broken leg. And this young little farmer Wise old farmer says, just wait and see. You never know what's going to happen in life. It's an interesting fable, but I think it says something to us about perspective. I think most of us this morning could probably relate to having bad fortune, misfortune, bad stuff come your way in life. They say that life consists of 10% of what life throws at you, but 90% about how you respond to it. This, young, this little farmer, this, this farmer has a perspective of just thinking that life kind of irons itself out in the long run. 
And this morning, I can't help but think about that way, about Solomon. Solomon, as we, as we had talked about, has uh, reigned almost 40 years now in the nation of Israel. His perspective is one at the peak of Israel. He uh, is given wisdom from God, and he writes Song of Solomon, and then we know he writes about 3,000 of the Proverbs. And so now Ecclesiastes is that book of realizing life isn't equal for everyone. I mean, we, that's a big word today in being politically correct, right? It needs to be fair. Everybody, it has to be fair. And honestly, life is really never fair. Kevin, you heard, or maybe you've said it to yourself and your family, why did we get so much misfortune? I think in our low spots in life, don't we all come to a point of saying, why God, why, why are you doing this to me? And this morning, what Solomon does, really towards the end of his book, he, he gives us some summary, and we kind of wish that he would have said this in the beginning, it might have helped give clarity, but he wraps up in chapter 12. And with the help of a commentary and, and some insight from Warren Wiersbe, I felt like blending that from some of my observations, there really are three life perspectives that Solomon is longing for us to have. Three perspectives that we can draw from chapter 12 and really the whole of this Ecclesiastes, this book, that Solomon is longing for us to look at life differently. Because isn't that true? We, we find ourselves looking at life in different ways. It reminds me of the story of the husband and wife that get to their cottage and the husband is he's looking out the window, he shouts out to his wife and says, man, we got to get outside and enjoy nature. we got to get outside and and just breathe in that air and do that. And so he sees a lake. And he sees the boat. And so he's quickly putting all his fishing gear together and getting ready to meet his wife outside. She hears this and she's looking out a different window and sees the garden and a woods path. And so she's quickly getting her walking shoes and maybe her gardening gloves. And they both meet in the porch. And it's like, what are you dressed for? I'm dressed to go fish. Oh, I'm dressed to go walk. I think the window that you look out this morning about life is really important. And I would wager to say that many of us in this room look at life many different ways. Again, Solomon gives us three perspectives. Let's start. He first says throughout the whole book that we know that what life is just a vapor. He says it in the word meaningless, right? He says meaningless, meaningless. Somebody in the last service said, Troy, I'm reading Job, and he says the same thing. Life has no meaning. This word meaningless is actually like in the cold air of going breathing and you see that air for a moment and then it dissipates and Solomon has made very clear no matter what you believe this morning no matter where you're at about your perspective about God we would all venture to say that life is short life finds uh, we find ourselves in life going very quick don't we so Solomon begins in chapter 12 and says this, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach you when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. I'm going to stop for a moment. Now this is a bit of a tangent, but I think it's important, and it does relate to this point, but I want to make sure you get this. I highlighted remember your Creator. I think it's often confusing in the church culture today, people who call themselves believers, that they, they misunderstand why we gather. 
Our gathering here is not so that you get more great music from Bobby. It's not so that it's a draw to get more people to come to hear the great program that's going to happen. It really isn't even supposed to be like this pick-me-up to make you feel better throughout your week. It is so that we remember. The early church gathered, whether under persecution or whether in freedom, gathered to remember. Our, our goal this morning is for all of us to remember the Creator. I don't know about you, but we find, I find that in my week, I can drive out past you know, our sign and quickly get inebriated by culture. Do you feel it? The pull of culture, all right, the, the immediate, the things that pull us, whether it's, it's bills and stress and worry and health, it could be that you know, Fox News has got a hold of you and the disparity of how bad the world is. Why is it when we all get older, we, we, we kind of get grumpy about the world? It's because we get so absorbed about the world, we start to lose sight that the creator of the universe has us here and who he is and what he promises. And so we're called to gather. The Hebrew writer says, don't forsake this. Some of you watch online and we embrace that. That's great. Your cabin culture people and you're watching and we've had many people say that's a great experience. But friends, there's nothing to replace the gathering of believers whether in small groups or big groups, but to remember our Creator. And it says in here that we begin to remember that when we're younger. The Bible says that when you're young, you have great visions about God. You have great hopes about life. And it says don't forget that because eventually life starts to wear on us, doesn't it? And it pulls us down. And Monday through Saturday, boy, it gets a hold of me. It gets a hold of me and I could find myself losing perspective and even as a pastor, I want, I want to remember. So I, I need music and, and songs, anthem-like songs, whether done 200 years ago or 20 days ago, whatever that truth. I need the reading of the scripture. I need that truth. I need the conversation about life and how it's God's working out in your life to remember. He goes on, it says, I find no pleasure then before the sun and light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain. When the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when people rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. He's talking about the end of life here. When people are afraid of heights and the dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and the desire no longer is stirred, then people go to their eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Remember him. He's saying that your life, you're going to get older. And life often can get some of the best of us. And we forget. Wow, there's so much more going on than what's on the media and the TV and what the world talks about. That we're called as the Christ following gathering called the church and we are to be reminded of who he is remember him before sil the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well and the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it he's talking about the end of our life meaningless meaningless says the teacher 
everything is meaningless. The first perspective this morning that Solomon gives us about life is that life is a gift. Enjoy it. I mean, when was the last time you got a gift? There's something about receiving a gift and you get it and there's this sense of, of cherishing it. You didn't pay for it. Maybe you didn't even deserve it, but you got it. And God wants us to embrace life as a gift however much you have received. And I think we forget often about life. We just had our, our family get together for Olivia's birthday and it was great as we kind of just shared words with her, just embracing that. And I just wrote in my card to her, not, I won't tell you all of it, but one of the things I wrote was that when God created the mold for Olivia, then he broke it and said, there's only one. But he did that for all of you. And so many times we forget that you've been uniquely created by the, by the God of the universe, and you remember that, and you've been given life. No matter what life's shown your way, you've been given life this morning, and he says, I want you to enjoy it. Why is it so hard for us sometimes to embrace the life given? We forget, don't we? We forget the breath we have. Paul will say to, uh, to the early church in the New Testament, says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In other words, we're to be people who embrace, no matter how hard might life get, is that we can love what God has given us. It's amazing reading stories about people who, who enjoy life, who drink it in. I have friends that have disabilities, who love Jesus dearly, and you would never know that they've been hit with that because they enjoy life, the life given. People who have health concerns, people who have financial problems, relational problems, the, the list goes on. But when you become a Christ follower, Jesus is calling us to this, but God the Father in the Old Testament, even to Solomon, saying, embrace life that's been given to you. You've been given a gift. I, I remember early years when Trish and I were, were first married. You ever, when you guys were married, or, or maybe it's actually your birthday, maybe it was yesterday, I don't know, but maybe you got a gift, and you really didn't like the gift, right? But you had to kind of smile and pretend. I mean, Thank the Lord that we had to open up some of our wedding gifts in private, right? Because Trish and I could go, what was that? What is this? But then you know they're going to come over, right? They're, they're going to show up at your house, and so you have to begrudgingly put it out. Or you have like that part of your closet that says when those people come over, you have to pull it all out. Anybody done that? Come on, confession. Yeah, raise your hand. Only like three of us. Wow, you guys are so good. You liked all your gifts. I'll remember that. I think some of you this morning feel like God gave you a bad dose of life. And however you may feel about your life, you have life. And the Father is saying, you, you have something. Solomon's giving us perspective that it's been a, a gift to you. And this morning I want to ask you two questions then. What is good in your life? When, when was the last time you just stopped and were quiet and embraced what is good? What are you thankful for? We can quickly get so pulled by culture into what we don't have. Isn't that marketing? Isn't that the whole world's message? 
hey, you're missing out on this, so you should probably make this purchase. Hey, if you drive this car, you know, your life just falls in place, you know? And we start to believe that. And even as Christ followers, we find ourselves pulled into that. And it takes us to remember the Creator and the gift He's been given us and for us just to think for a moment. So I want you to do that right now. I want you just to think. You can pull out your phone and write this down, pull out a piece of paper, turn to the person next to you. What's good in your life? What are you thankful for? I'm going to create an awkward silence right now and just be quiet. Somebody's texting somebody. That's fair. That's fair game. I told you a couple weeks ago I was in Quetico with Dave Becker and some others in here, Chuck and a few others, but uh, that was a hard trip. Uh, that's where, like, the Marine switch has to click on, and uh, you go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to survive. Uh, but in the midst of all that that trip threw at me physically, maybe even emotionally and mentally, there were these moments. There were these moments that it didn't matter what it cost, it didn't matter how far we'd gone, it didn't matter all the bumps and bruises and the aches and pains, there were these moments that you just said, oh man, this is good. Where are those moments for you? How often do you take to reflect and even just write in a journal or get on your knees in your living room or even on your porch and look out and say, this is good. Even though things aren't perfect, even the world is not a perfect place, we saw that this week, we see it every week, we see it every day, but what's right? Solomon gives us a great perspective in saying that God has given you life, he's given you a gift. Enjoy it. His second perspective comes out of verse 9 through 12, and it says not only was the teacher wise, he's talking about himself, but he also imparted knowledge to the people, and so he's leaning into now this this idea of seeking intelligence or knowledge and wisdom. He pondered and searched out and set in order many... uh, and. Excuse me. He pondered and searched out and set in order many Proverbs. He's talking about the Proverbs he wrote. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And what he wrote was upright and true. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails, nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end. Much study wearies the body. Now he's giving a little bit of a warning here and he's saying, I searched out all of wisdom and tried to figure out life. He's saying, be cautious here and there is a warning to us because by, by no means this morning are we saying that knowledge or intellect is what God's looking for us to be. And I think the Christian culture has so swung a pendulum so far about getting all the answers right about God. And this is not what his call is. His call is that we fall in love with Jesus. 
And he says, unless you can become like one of these children. He will also say, the study, the show thyself, approved. That means understand this story that God's given through the Bible. Read it. But no one knows all the answers. Not only are we to see life as a gift, as a perspective, to enjoy it, we're also to see that life is a school and be a learner. Learn. Absorb the opportunities that you have to grow and understand more about who God has called you to be. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, doesn't even believe the claim of his brother, his half-brother, that he's the Messiah. Only until Jesus dies and resurrects again do we find that, that James begins to follow his, uh, his brother, follow Jesus. He writes this in the book of James in, in verse, chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't say if you face trials. It says when. It says when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, may be mature complete, not lacking in anything. Why is it that we start to believe this idea that we're supposed to escape pressure and trials? Do you, do you see that? I, I feel like most of our culture today is trying to, especially as Christians, pray themselves out of a problem. When maybe the trial, maybe the persecution, maybe the, the adversity that you're going through God wanted you in to grow you up. What if that was true? I remember going into the service, in, into boot camp, and I had the first two weeks, and some of you military know what I'm talking about. The first two weeks, I thought were boot camp. And it was chaotic. They would get you up at 1 a.m., you go get shots at 2 a.m., they'd put you back to bed, you'd get back up at 4. I mean, it was, there was no schedule, it was crazy. But after two weeks... I started to think, wow, this is not too bad. Just, just chaotic. I didn't realize that boot camp actually started the third week. That was just processing. <laughs> and then it hit. And I had this snapping point. I'll never forget. I had this snapping point because I was about to break down. Because they were thrashing us. I don't probably need to describe all the things they were doing. But they were thrashing us. And I remember thinking, wait a second. Perspective. This is training. This is a school. This is a classroom setting. They're trying to give adversity, trial, anything they can to put pressure on us to train us to mature up and grow up. Friends, then everything changed for me. I'm not saying it was easy. I'm just saying I had a new framework. Ah, if I have to do 100 push-ups, I'm just going to get stronger. If I have to stay up all night, it'll just make me stronger. James is saying... Friends, don't leave the church when there's division or there's a struggle. Maybe God placed you right there underneath it to get stronger. Don't leave when there's sin in you or in, in somebody you know. Don't leave when someone hurts your feelings. Sit underneath it. Move into it. The, the word here is like lifting weights. You know that if you lift weights, you've got to do reps, and you want to put weight on there. And so you know that towards the end of, of a set, so many weights, you're, it's, it's a struggle. And he's saying, don't bail and throw it off. It's those reps underneath that pressure that start to grow you. What if, 
God knew we were, well, he does, but he knows we're sinful. He knows we're broken. He knows that we'd be gathering as a local church, and he knew there were going to be problems. Read Paul's letters to the early church. Division, confusion, people being upset, people wrong teaching, things not going their way. And yet, they say, stay in it, stay in it. It will grow you up. The scripture says that our role as pastors and teachers is not to do the work of the ministry. It is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Part of my role, doesn't mean I sit back in my office and think, well, I'm going to watch you guys do this. I'm about it too in my life, but that's my role is to equip the body in the midst of trial and suffering and pain. Now, some of you, your own trial is your own stuff. Corinthians talks about this, and Paul will say, no temptation, because some of you, a trial is just your own temptation. And this maybe is the most encouraging verse for me in working through my own sin. Just so you know, I know we changed our sign. We didn't change our church name, by the way, but we're embracing that God is using this campus for our city. Many people just say community church, but maybe on the sign we should put, this pastor sins. You know, just a fair warning, because I do. And in that, I find great comfort in this because in the midst of being uh, attacked, I would say, by the evil one or by my own flesh, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out. You know what I realize in the midst of the persecution that I may be getting might be my own sinful way? is this is not too great, I can say no. And so we find ourselves in sin. We worship ourselves because we're, and so we find ourselves, we worship our way into sin. We're called to worship ourselves out of it. It's really a question of what we worship most. And so we go back to, life is a school. It's teaching us and growing us. And what if God pulled us together as broken and flawed as we all are, as tension raised in different areas in this room, whether family or friends or with church staff or whatever it might be, but what if he put us in that cauldron of of trial to grow us up? To grow us up so we could teach someone else, to grow us up so that we could reflect the love of Christ. Because isn't that the call? We're to glorify God. The perspective first is that life's a gift and maybe one of the best reflection of Jesus is us embracing life in the midst of our persecution. And maybe the best way for us to reflect is in sitting in the school of life and not complaining about it, not trying to escape it, but sitting in it in the midst of it. And I'm not saying keep on sinning or, or just, we, not that we even we love, we don't love that. I have this list that I give, I've given God And say, God, I'm really up for the school thing. Here's the tests I'd like you to give me. Here's the tests I don't really want. Right? Have you done that before? And some of those are like, gosh, Lord, I don't want to lose my wife or my kids or a family member. That's a test I, I I don't really want. And I know we don't get to pick, do we? But like the small little farmer, who says, just just wait and see. We only know in retrospect what God is doing and shaping in us, don't we? 
Not only is life a gift, this is what Solomon is giving us. He's saying life is a school and we're to learn. What tests are you in right now? Another moment of awkward silence. I want you to just to turn to a friend or, or write this down. What, what tests are you in? Maybe that's what you're going to share with your spouse or a family member or a friend you're with this morning. And what is God teaching you in this moment? Just take a couple minutes. can't pick the silence as a test or a trial either. That's not fair. You see how perspective and how important it is for us to be people that gather and be reminded. Because can you feel it when you start to think about what's good and right and then you kind of recognize a little bit about where God has you and what you're learning, and that weight or that pressure you're feeling under a trial, God's growing you up. The Bible says he, he disciplines those he loves. He brings that stuff our way, allows for things to happen in our lives to grow us because he loves us. Here's the last part of, really, Ecclesiastes. And really, the irony is that last two verses... Solomon maybe should have put his one and two of chapter one because it would have helped us with some sanity about what he was talking about. But he brings it now to this conclusion. Now, all has been heard. You've read my journal. Here's my conclusion, or here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. I mean, bottom line, when we recognize that God has gifted us with life and that life is a school, he's saying it's smart and wise to obey what God asks you to do. Here's a man that disobeyed Solomon so much of what God asked him. He says, for this is the duty of all mankind. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. The last perspective is that life is a bank and you're to steward it. What do I mean by that? Is that you recognize that life's a gift, you recognize that God has us in this school of learning, but you also recognize, consistent with our Bibles, that it says you have been given an allotment. I mean, you, you, God slid over the chips of the table and said, this is what I'm going to give you. Jesus talks about this, the parable of the talents, said you've been given two, you've been one, you've been given three, you've been given five. I don't know what that is. It could be wealth and finance. It could be power and prestige. It could be gifts. Really, it's, it's our time. It's our talents. It's our treasures. However, that gets encompassed. And so, that's not a fair allotment, is it? It's not like God gave us all the same. You know, we're so worried about that in culture today. It's the whole, everybody gets a trophy. You know, even the losing team now in leagues, get all, everybody gets a trophy so they feel good. In some way, that's a warped perspective and expectation about real life, right? Because it isn't all the same. 
But God gave you what he gave you. And he's expecting that you steward it well. This is what Solomon is giving us. He says, steward it, take care of it. David, Solomon's father, says it this way in Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us that we don't have a lot of time. Teach us to understand that we don't have a lot of time and that we might be smart how we're using those days. Let me ask you now, in just this couple moments, what are you waiting for in your life? Lots of people in the church today, as they're talking about their love for God, will come on Sundays, but Monday through Saturday it's this, I'm going to put God on the back burner because I have to figure some things out before I can get serious about my faith. You've heard that before? I need to clean up my life before I can start serving God. Or I need to need to, to put in the hours to this job and all this stuff before I can invest in my family. And it's always, I'm going to wait until. When the reality is, who in this room knows the hour or the minute that your life will be done? It puts a sense of urgency. What are you waiting for? If we knew we only had till midnight of today, what would our lives look like? What would our schedule look like today? What are you waiting for? What needs to happen today? Can you just take a minute to think about life as a bank and you're to steward today. What needs to happen today? So a couple weeks ago, Damien showed this video, and then I've used the same metaphor. I think it's one that we're latching onto, and we have these decals in, in the, the visitor center. The, the idea is this, that the rope, the white part of the rope represents eternity. And this rope would extend all the way, ne never ending, you'd never find the end. And this is the picture of eternity that God gives us. The red is to represent our lives. But I want to just focus on the moment for this red. No matter what you believe about God this morning, we can all agree on one thing. If all of life is just this red, we don't know how much we have, do we? We could not figure out and put together a formula understanding how much each of us have in this space. We don't know. It's unknown no matter what you believe. If you don't believe in God and the white part, which is eternity, that Jesus dies and pays that penalty so that we can spend the rest of eternity with the Father then all you have is the red. You don't know how long you have, but all you have is the red. And can I tell you this morning, I would affirm the rationale and perspective about life that if this is all you see, it is drink up and do as much as you can and take in and take advantage of everything you've got because that's all you have. I get it. I get that perspective. The vantage point we have is that there is a, a Father that loves us and wants us to be with Him in eternity. And if you see life as a gift, and if you see that He's giving us whatever, how much red there is in this, as a school to grow up, and you also see it that He's gonna, He's asking us to steward this red part. 
The scripture says that however we steward this life pays dividends for eternity. To the point where we'll be able to stand before God and saying, well done. This is Jesus' parable about the parable of the talents. One buries, one's a fearful about God's judgment and does nothing. Another one invests it and loses most of it, but God's just loving the fact that this person is investing and trying to steward well. The question I have for us as the body of Christ, we should be the best stewards of what we've been given. The Global Leadership Summit, Bill Hybels, uh, he introduced his new book called Simplify. It's saying 10 disciplines to unclutter your soul. Anybody looking for some uncluttering of your soul? I know for me, this is like, there's only like two of us or three of us. The rest of you are so spiritual. I love that. No, I need that. In chapter 2, here's the question that he poses that rocks me. What if God was in charge of your planner or your schedule? What would your day look like? In other words, what if God was in charge of stewarding your time? What would you be putting it to? It's a small question, but a profound one that should cause us to ask the question about everything. What if God was in charge of your bank account? What if God was in charge of your marriage? What if God was in charge of you parenting your kids, your work? All that you have been given. Life is a bank. And you have been given a deposit for life that is a gift for you to learn, but you to steward. How are you stewarding your life? And this is the role of the local church, is that we're to call one another to be great stewards of whatever we have. It's part of, really, the, the, the heartbeat of what we're saying just by a physical campus. We want to steward this well. You're, you're approving a budget, stewarding the do- dollars well. But friends, it goes more than that. It's stewarding our time. It's you stewarding your time. It's not just here at this campus for ministry time. It's at your job. It's in your quiet times, in your spaces where nobody's looking. How are we stewarding our lives? Solomon's giving us three perspectives. Life is a gift. Drink it in. He has given, despite the trouble that you're in, he's given it to you. Life is a school. Learn. Grow from that experience. And it says that I'm growing you up. I'm growing you up to reflect me. And friends, we can reflect Jesus so much in the midst of that, if we can view life as a gift and show that joy and be like that farmer who says, we'll just wait and see, such a different perspective about life and then stewarding it that way. The Bible says there should be a difference between those of us who know God and those who don't and it's perspective because life is going to hit both parties but it's how that 90%, how we respond to life And we've been given a biblical perspective about God. And how is your perspective this morning? As Bobby comes up and leads us in song, and we say often that song becomes an anthem of worship to our God. For those of us who have eternal perspective, who see that what I do now matters. And can I ask you this morning to think about before you go to the table, that you don't just go up there for ritual or or tradition. In fact, Scripture speaks against that. Don't do it that way. He says, when you go, he says exactly what Solomon said, remember me. 
And when we remember the Father and the Son and the Spirit this morning, we're to remember that we are to have a biblical worldview, a perspective, a God-divine perspective of life, that I've been given a gift, that I've been put in a school to learn and grow and understand the greatness of our God, but I've also been given an allotment, a bank, a bank account, and I'm to steward it well. This morning, may the Spirit put on us a level of conviction that's appropriate to where we need to be stretched this morning. Father, we pray this morning that we are people that are embracing the perspective of life that Solomon lends to at the very end, that we thank you for the gift of life and then new life through Jesus. We thank you for the chance to learn and grow and be made complete through the life and death of Jesus. And we thank you that you have given us an account because of Jesus that we can earn dividends and find great pleasure with you in eternity through how we use our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.